morning. The reading today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, and we're reading from verse 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Trust you're well today. I'm glad you're here at TCC. Thanks, Marnie, for that good announcement. And uh, thank you, Scott. Uh, Scott Howley. Scott and uh, Jackie and family have been here uh, on a kind of a work challenge, a work job uh, from New Zealand. And uh, they spent a year here, and then I think it got extended. So uh, we hope it keeps getting extended because Scott and family just really plugged in and are working uh, very uh, wonderfully here at TCC, so we do appreciate that. We're in a uh, series of messages called Core Strength, and uh, not only are we trying to anchor uh, our hearts and our spiritual lives by just building a real strong spiritual core, but we're also trying to firm up our, our abs, which is to anchor our physical bodies uh, and we've been working away on that and if you started like with 10 sit-ups uh, five six weeks ago and you've been doing it every day well something's happening here I'm quite sure and it's getting firmer and firmer so somebody said the other day I lost a pant size uh, it wasn't me but I wish it was but uh, well, that's amazing so some people are taking this very very seriously it was just an ordinary day uh, in New York City. Cameron was a uh, film student, just 20 years old. He was uh, heading home uh, on the transit, on the subway, just after a busy day. And as he entered the New York subway station, he suddenly had a violent seizure. And uh, he couldn't control himself. He tumbled over the railing and he fell down into the railway bed 
just as a fast-approaching train was pulling into the station. People saw what was about to happen. They froze in their tracks. Uh, everybody was busy to get to where they were going, and nobody tried to help except for one man. His name was Wesley. He was a construction worker. He was actually with his two daughters, taking them home from school. Wesley was from Harlem. He never thought. He just jumped into action. He jumped down into the ditch. He covered Cameron's body, which was still writhing from the, from the seizure. He piled on top of him, held him down, while the, thunder, the, the train just thundered over top of them. They both survived. And later when he was interviewed, Wesley said, I didn't feel like I did anything spectacular. I just saw someone who needed help. I didn't think about it. I just did what I felt was right. The modern day story of Luke 10, the account that Scott just read for us. And our series, Core Strength, has taken us back over and over again to Luke chapter 10. And I, if you have your Bibles, if you'll just pull them out, uh, we'll follow the passage. But there's a guy asking questions. He's asking tough questions. He's actually a young lawyer, a, a theologian. And really, he has a trick question. Maybe he was out just to make a name for himself. I don't know. I took Jesus down. He's not really in earnest. His hope was to play a little chess with him, a little intellectual banter, and in the end he would say, checkmate, got you. I don't know. He has this whole conversation mapped out in his notebook at home. He knows how he will begin. He knows how Jesus will answer. He's got it calculated. And then he knows how he will reply to what Jesus is going to say. And so the young lawyer begins the conversation with one of the greatest questions that people ask. If you look through the centuries of time, thousands of philosophies are strewn out along the path of this question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now surely the question gets rephrased. But it's the same question. What is the meaning of life? What does life look like after death? Is it annihilation? Life just ends at the grave? Or is there something more? I think it's all the same question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, first off, Jesus could have laughed at him. But he doesn't. He could have said that's a stupid question. The nature of an inheritance is that you do nothing for it. Somebody gives it to you, they die, and all you have to do is receive it. He doesn't say that, but he could have. Rather, he says, you're a lawyer. You know the law very well. Uh, what do you think it says? Well, it probably catches this guy off guard because the young man, he's got the lead. He wants to, to do the asking of the questions. So uh, it wasn't going to be his lead-off approach. But Jesus pushes him, and he says, what everybody else would have said, he had to say it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, the Shema, 
Jesus said, ah, that's a good answer. You keep doing that and you'll just be just fine. So Jesus is not entering into this theological arm wrestling. He's not taking the bait. The young man is frustrated, so hoping for one more chance to turn this around. And he said, and just who is my neighbor? He wanted the definition of terms. Really, it was just a distraction card. And once again, Jesus is amazing. He keeps the theological debate down to a minimum. And he tells a surprising story. Sometimes it's just good to tell a story when people are a little bit anxious and uptight. Just tell them a story. So Jesus tells them a story, and not a far-fetched story at all, a story that was real life for people who lived in Jerusalem. This is the story of a man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now everybody knew that this was a kind, real kind of life story because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a very narrow, winding road. Some of you probably in recent years have traveled that road. Uh, a lot of tourists have traveled that road. Of course, today it's a modern paved road, but I can still remember traveling down there. I can remember the buses going around the turns and gearing down and speeding up again and then having to gear down because it's windy and it goes, it, the elevation drops rather rapidly. And some of you have been to Jericho and then you've been on to the Dead Sea. And some of you have had pictures of uh, floating in the Dead Sea, reading a newspaper. Kind of an awesome bucket list experience. Oh, and a mud bath. I don't have it here, but don't forget the mud bath. If you're going to go there, get a mud bath. And then get into the Dead Sea. And then that same road takes you on to Masada, winter home of King Herod on a secluded mountain. Quite a story behind Masada. And uh, it's a Middle Eastern mountain. We call the mountains. Uh, it's like the Drumheller Badlands to get a comparison. And it's, it's way down from Jerusalem. Actually, there's about a 3,000 foot drop in less than 20 miles. So that's pretty significant. And Jericho, the city, is below sea level. And the path in those days wound its way through uh, terrain perfect for bandits to ambush unwary travelers. Now remember this story follows on the heels of the most powerful statement that is mentioned no less than 10 times in the Bible. So that really means pay attention, right? It's, it's there 10 times in the Bible for us to see the importance. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus told the story, and now it's a very famous story, of course, and, and, and you've heard this story over and over again, and as a result, people have picked up the name, the Good Samaritan, they've applied it to service in the world, they've applied it to hospitals and medical centers all around the planet. So here's the story in, in summary form. There is a man, and he's probably Jewish, and he's making a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. He goes down this narrow, narrow road, going down all the way to Jericho, but a road that has all kinds of built-in spots for anyone to be ambushed. And it happens. This man is attacked by bandits. They steal all of his belongings. They even strip him down and they take all his clothes. 
and they give him a violent beating and he's left alongside of the road half dead. And then a priest comes down the road and he takes a look at this guy half dead and he does a little course correction and he walks to the other side of the road and he just keeps on motoring. And then a Levite does the same thing. He he sees the guy lying at the side of the road. He looks in pitiful condition. He's probably not going to make it. It looks like he's almost dead. So he chooses not to be there very long, but he pauses to look. And he then takes a detour and he crosses over to the other side of the road. And then Jesus says, the third comes along and he is a Samaritan. It's so interesting that Jesus chooses a Samaritan uh, because this raised lots of other issues. The issue of race, for example. Samaritans were people of mixed blood and they were frowned upon by the Orthodox Jews. The Jewish people would take long detours so they wouldn't have to walk through the little province or land of Samaria. So the Samaritans weren't a very appreciated group of people. And the Samaritan man sees this poor guy lying on the ground. He didn't see that he was half dead. He saw that he was half alive. And he needed to do something. And he comes to this man, realizes that he has a great need. He needs help immediately. He has pity on him. He bandages him up, uh, probably by using his own clothes. He puts him on a donkey. He takes him to an inn and he makes sure that he's well taken care of offering to pay any other bills that are incurred until he comes back the next time around and he will pay whatever is owing. So the question is, who's my neighbor? What do you think he said to the lawyer? Who is my neighbor? Well, what could the lawyer say in response? I mean, there was no other answer. He was boxed in. What could you say to that? He had to say the one who showed him mercy. So Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Stop the shenanigans. Stop the arguing. Be a neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Quit the theological debates. Quit making excuses. Open your heart. Open your eyes. And you'll see how this applies to your life. Great question. So who is my neighbor? How am, I going to, how am I going to answer that? How do I approach this question with the people who are in my life? Whether they're at home or whether they're at school or whether they're at work or whether they're in my extended circle of friends. So I want to suggest that you just come with me for a little bit and you, you try to get into the shoes of these different people. And you look at it from three different viewpoints. Number one, you could remain aloof. You could remain aloof. Uh, Can you identify with the priest? By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, it's interesting that this man is a religious man. So I guess you would expect him to be a little more compassionate. I mean, I guess you would expect that. Uh, but you know, you can, you can have a lot of knowledge. You can traffic in a lot of things about God and about the Bible and never use it. So you can know a lot of stuff, but never get it down to 
to your shoes. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us what was in the mind of the priest, that he didn't stop and he didn't pay attention. Maybe he was too horrified to do anything. Maybe he had never taken a first aid course and Joe should have been there to teach first aid. Maybe he couldn't stomach a bloody mess, like, ooh, I'm not stopping here. Mark and I came across a nasty, nasty traffic accident uh, quite some years ago. And I remember it happened right in front of us. And one car hit the ditch this way, and they're traveling fast. Another car hit the ditch that way. And uh, I remember running to the one car that had crashed and was in the ditch. Horns were going and all that stuff. Only be, to be greeted by a driver that was unconscious and blood pouring down his face. And uh, I understand the feeling of helplessness when there is a severe injury. I mean, I felt totally unprepared to help. I would say it would be good for all of us to take a first aid course to learn some basics because you never know when you're in a situation that requires your attention. I don't know why the priest just crossed over to the other side of the road. Did he feel helpless? Did he not want to be unceremonially ceremonially unclean as some would suggest that touching a dead body would keep him from doing his priestly job until he was cleansed and that's a process and, and he was on a schedule? Perhaps getting to his next assignment was more important than the, assign, the assignment that was right in front of him. You know our crazy busy schedules that says, no, I can't, I gotta, gotta do this. There's always the choice to stay aloof. That's always an option. There is the pathway called avoidance. Just keep your distance. Don't get involved. The priest sees that the guy is hurt, but for whatever reason, he crosses over. He crosses over to the other side of the road. He keeps his distance out of sight, out of mind. My guess is that that old doctrine, remember, of separation is not as prevalent as it once was. There was a day, and I think it slipped by us, that since we're called to live a holy life, that causes us to stay aloof from the world. That's, that's a, we can get out of balance on that one so badly. Hopefully never in the name of forgiveness and living a separate life we would ever withdraw from people on the road who need our help. It's like, oh no. We are to be engaged with people on the road. Actually, I, I have to say this. I'm encouraged by the church. Uh, even in the last 10 years, I really see a more compassionate church than I've ever seen. Uh, oh, I, I know, and, and we know the, the church is not perfect. We could always find, well, yeah, didn't do that, didn't do that. In fact, don't we say that? The church should do this. And why didn't it do this? And sometimes we forget who the church is. It's me. It's you. Uh, it's us. And we look at ourselves, I look at myself and say, wow, I'm sure not perfect. I sure make a lot of mistakes. I blow it. But we're the church. But we want to choose our activities and our friendships very well in our world. But we never want to be removed. We never want to be aloof from the world because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Our presence is so much needed to make a difference in the world. 
And the priest chose to stay aloof. He didn't get involved. Actually, it's rather easy to adopt that attitude in life to stay disconnected from people for the sake of your own protection. If you get too close, you're vulnerable. And someone might ask you for help. But if you, if you stay detached, if you just move over to the other side of the road and pretend you don't see it, you don't see the pain in your family, you don't see the pain in your friends or your colleagues or the people at, at the job site, the pain in the lives of your students. So you just keep them all at a distance so you don't have to deal with their stuff because their stuff is hard to deal with. As winter comes on, you know, it's almost like we say goodbye to the neighbors on our street until spring. Door goes up, Brad's door comes down, and give them a little wave. See you in April. Who is my neighbor? Do they live in my family? Do I keep a distance? Do they live down the street? Do they live where those boxes are going to be delivered? Yeah, they do. Thank you, Marnie, for that reminder. Do they live in Houston? Do they live in Florida? Do they live in Mexico, Puerto Rico, Las Vegas, California this week, Edmonton? Do I keep my distance? So that's the first viewpoint. Remain aloof. Oh, it appears in a myriad of ways. It might, be in, it might be just in sharing what God is doing in your life. Oh, how helpful it would be if you just talk about what God's doing in your life. Uh, but I don't want to tell anybody lest they misinterpret who I am or they think something about me, you know, I don't know what they're going to think of. It might be just in contributing to a conversation. I'm not going to say anything because if I don't say anything, I don't, I don't get misinterpreted. It's a tendency to protect myself and stay aloof. And, you know, there are times when we're all aloof. We're t- there are times when we're all in that boat. So, so we, are, we are all under that category. The second viewpoint is demonstrated by a second religious man. He's called a Levite. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So the second viewpoint is nosy but apathetic. The Levite is more curious. Oh, and by the way, the Levite is not a gene salesman. (laughs) He's a temple assistant. That's how he, that's how he, he works. He spends his, his life every day. That's what he does. Now, it's true that the Levite walked right up to him. So he got a little closer look. Or, or was he just nosy? Was he just curious? Uh, but he also crossed over to the other side. The situation looked pretty grim. He looked half dead. Really, we just ought to call the funeral home and let, take this guy away. He's done. He did nothing to intervene. He didn't take his pulse. He didn't try to comfort him. He didn't try to stop the bleeding. He was nosy, but apathetic. I say, well, I would never do that. But sometimes when I drive down the road, freeway, wherever, I see an accident. I see someone with a flat tire, and I say, oh, I couldn't stop here. It's too busy. Uh, I might get hit. And I'm so glad when it's on the other side of the freeway, because that's their job on that side. And even if there is an exit to go around and get over there, that's over there. We love to stare. We hate to stop. 
We, we love to look at people's pain. We can't even imagine the pain in Puerto Rico, the whole, the whole island devastated. Las Vegas, the, the devastation is awful. The California fires, the devastation is awful. But I don't know what I can do. Fortunately, it's a long ways away, and I must just keep on doing what I'm doing. Thirdly, is the, the viewpoint is, here I am, what can I do? Here I am, what can I do? And Luke writes, Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with oil, olive oil, and wine, and bandaged them. Now there's so much about this little verse that's so interesting. First, a, a despised Samaritan came along. Jesus uh, picked the guy who was despised to be the hero of the story. I love that. There was such animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. They were racially prejudiced against the Samaritans, and they didn't mind saying it. Samaritans were not full-blooded Jews, so they didn't measure up. Awesome that Jesus would choose a minority group. I think he would choose a minority group today, and he would make heroes out of them. One thing about a person who has suffered discrimination or suffered injustice is that they're often very merciful to others because they understand the feelings of rejection or the feelings of being passed by. So Jesus makes a hero of the Samaritan, and, and he said, this is the guy who showed love. Now, the second thing that's attractive about the Samaritan's caring heart is that he didn't make his judgment from a distance. No, he, he moved in real close. He stopped long enough to enter the space of the person who was suffering. He saw for himself what needed to be done. You never really grasp what the situation is until you have to stop. And you have to look. And you have to talk. You have to hear the other person. Maybe you understand their hearts for the first time. We all know the issue these days of the refugees streaming across the border from the, United States, from the United States. And some of us say, ooh, that shouldn't be. I mean, where are immigration laws? How, do, how can we fix this? On the other hand, when you hear the stories, some of these refugees heard one the other night, wow, you feel differently when you hear their stories. Because it's not just simple logistics. It's heart, it's needs, it's desperation. I was remembering a story that I read some time ago about a father who got on the bus with his three kids. And the kids were just out of control. They were running all over the place and bumping into people. They were thinking it was a playground, and they were just going wild in a bus. And finally, someone yelled at the dad to attend to his kids. Well, he looked up and he said, oh, he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've just come from the hospital. Their mother just passed away. And I guess I'm not functioning very well. Well, suddenly you view that situation so differently when you hear what's happening in the man's life. He's just lost his wife. And he's trying to cope. The good Samaritan got close enough to the bloodied, beat-up man to realize he's still alive. He still has a pulse. And if I was in his position, I would surely want someone to stop for me. 
Though the viewpoint here is, here I am. Now what can I do? Really, we're saying, I want to treat others like I want to be treated. We all want our kids to be educated in safe schools. We all want to live in safe neighborhoods. But there are millions of people today, adults and children, who live in very unsafe communities, travel to certain countries of the world, and everyone's in the house in the evening. No one dares to go out. It's just not safe to be out. Everyone wants to receive a fair salary, men and women. Men want a fair wage, but so do women. Equal pay for a day's wage. And was there risk in helping this person who was beaten up? There's always risk when you get involved. Those robbers might have been hiding in a nearby cave just watching who was going to come to help and they will pounce on him and do the same thing. Henry Duant uh, was born to wealthy parents in Geneva, Switzerland. His parents uh, were devout Christians. One evening while traveling uh, to meet with Emperor Napoleon, he came across the aftermath of a bloody battle. Some 40,000 men wounded Dying or dead lay strewn across the, the battlefield. Moved with compassion, Henry Duant put aside his personal agenda and helped the doctors care for the needs of the people. The experience had profound impact upon Henry. He wrote about the battle and he described it in detail. He urged the need for a neutral organization to care for wounded soldiers. That resulted in the Geneva Convention of 1864 with 22 nations signing accords acknowledging the neutrality of medical personality in time of conflict. And they chose a red cross on a white field for their banner and their symbol and the red cross was born. He didn't make his judgment of the situation from a distance, he got involved. The third thing that's noteworthy in an, is the ability to sympathize with pain. We hear a lot about pain in our connected world. And it's so, our, we are so connected today. If something happens in 10 minutes in Australia, we will know it. We will hear about it. We have a lot of pain in our, in our connected world. We almost get pain dull because we hear so much about it. I just go on my merry way. Oh, there was an earthquake. Oh, wasn't that interesting? But this good Samaritan saw the pain, felt the pain, heard the moans of pain. Let's ask God for our hearts to be really sensitive to the pain around us so that we might be involved. One of the things that's desperately needed today is to really listen to the pain of others. We go so fast that people don't get a chance to be heard. We need people who will stop and listen and say, no, I understand what you're going through. Or you're not weird for thinking that way. You're not out to lunch. I will pray for you for endurance. This is tough. And then noteworthy <clears throat> is the fact that the Good Samaritan said, <clears throat> excuse me, I will spend whatever it takes. I'll spend whatever it takes. There's a cost to friendship. 
The cross cost Jesus so much. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. The good Samaritan had nothing to gain by helping this guy. It cost him something, but still he did it. So who is our neighbor? Neighbor. If you quiet in your heart just right now, in fact, I'm going to invite you to bow with me. Just quiet in your heart right now. And you just ask the Lord, just ask him, Lord, who is my neighbor? Lord, who is my neighbor? He may bring to your mind and to your heart the place where he wants you to start or continue on. Lord, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Let's stand together.